Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And when people think about the term whistleblower, I think they imagine deep, dark government garages with deep throat giving secrets to break open the Watergate case, or maybe the latest motion picture in which the brave and heroic employee goes to the law firm to disclose all of the problems that their employer is having with toxic landfills or polluting lakes or whatever it might be. And you might also be familiar with the fact that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of whistleblower protection laws in the United States. Just from the OSHA fact sheet on your screen right now, you see references to consumer products, commercial motor carriers, environmental, financial reform, food safety, health insurance reform, motor vehicle safety, nuclear, pipeline, public transportation agencies, railroad, maritime, and what's going to be most important to us today, securities laws. That is the laws that govern how a public corporation and a private corporation, but a public corporation in this case, sells shares of itself to the public and what regulations they have to meet with. Now, the reason that's important to us today is because the Facebooks of the world, social media, a lot of internet facing companies don't have with specificity those kinds of whistleblower protection laws. It's not nuclear power. It's not pipeline administration. So on 60 Minutes yesterday, a whistleblower, as described in the headline, by the name of Francis Haugen, and I apologize if I mispronounce that name, went live with 60 Minutes to talk about how, as the headline says, Facebook is misleading the public on progress against hate speech, violence, and misinformation. Now, Ms. Haugen is referred to as a whistleblower across the internet and everywhere else that I was able to read this story today. So we're going to call her a whistleblower as well. But one of the things that I want to talk about here is whether or not she fits well into that category. Let's open it up with how 60 Minutes describes it. It says her name is Frances Haugen. That is a fact that Facebook has been anxious to know since last month when an anonymous former employee filed complaints with federal law enforcement. Now, if you see that phrase and you think maybe, oh, the FBI, the Department of Justice, something along those lines, no, that doesn't appear to be what they're referring to here. In fact, they're talking about complaints to a regulator that I am most familiar with and that we'll get to in just a second. As 60 Minutes continues, the complaints say Facebook's own research shows that it amplifies hate, misinformation, and political unrest, but the company hides what it knows. One complaint alleges that Facebook's Instagram harms teenage girls. And you might have seen those stories and maybe even the hearings about that particular question in the last week or so. Now, before we get into the specifics here, it jumps out what this looks the most like to me in terms of whistleblowing. You might be familiar with the stories about the tobacco companies back in the middle of the 20th century and whistleblowing and complaints and investigations by the FDA and elsewise that said that those tobacco companies knew more about the harm that their products cause than they were letting on to the public. Now, the difference is in that situation, you're talking about a products liability kind of concept. The fact that those companies owe a duty to the people that they sell their products to. This case that Frances Haugen is bringing, the complaints to federal law enforcement is distinct because she's not making it to the FDA, the Department of Justice, whatever it might apply to with respect to Facebook, but instead to the Securities and Exchange Commission for securities law violations, more specifically, at least as referenced here, disclosure violations that we've talked about a lot in virtual legality. So keep that in mind. That's going to be the crux of this video when we get to the legal half of this discussion. But 
regardless of the legal basis for whether she's a whistleblower, whether she's protected and everything else, she does bring up a lot of interesting facts about Facebook. And I know if you're in this space, you're probably interested to find out what she was talking about. So I've quoted a few places here. I will, of course, link the description to this video in the description to this video, and you can check it out for yourself. What does she say? The thing I saw at Facebook over and over again was there were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook over and over again chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. Now, I know from experience on this channel that a lot of you probably think that's a pretty good critique of Facebook, and I'm not going to disagree with you. But as the current structure of securities law, of business law in the United States exists today, which you can think is wrong, that is well within your right, optimizing for your own interests, which really is optimizing for your investors and your shareholders' interests, making money for them, is not on its face something that is illegal. It jumps out at me as a corporate attorney looking at it saying, hmm, I don't know what you would have them do other than optimize for those interests. So you're going to have to make a pretty good case that they're not just kind of ostensibly harming the public, but actually doing real damage to something of import in our nation or around the world. Because as it stands, Facebook, when you're talking about the Securities and Exchange Commission especially, is in the business of making its investors money. Continuing. At some point in 2021, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to do this in a systemic way, and I have to get out enough that no one can question that this is real. She secretly copied tens of thousands of pages of Facebook internal research. She says evidence shows that the company is lying to the public about making significant progress against hate, violence, and misinformation. One study she found from this year says, we estimate that we may action as little as 3 to 5% of hate and about six-tenths of 1% of violence and incitement on Facebook, despite being the best in the world at it. And Facebook's an enormous company, and undoubtedly it is the case that there's a lot of bad stuff on that service. However, what I want to point out as we talk about this from a legal perspective is this note. In 2021, she decided she was going to systemically take this documentation, that this is what she was going to do. She was going to copy tens of thousands of pages of internal research, which presumably isn't necessarily touching her job directly because this was important enough to her, which can be fine, as we will see when we look at the law, if you are whistleblowing a legal issue that Facebook did something that was in violation of the law. If it isn't, it becomes much more problematic. Let's continue with the story from 60 Minutes. The interviewer says, He's quoting from a journal here that she brought out in the documents that she made public. We have evidence from a variety of sources that hate speech, divisive political speech, and misinformation on Facebook and the family of apps are affecting societies around the world. And that is almost certainly the case. Facebook is big and broad and has millions and millions and millions of users. And whatever speech is appearing on Facebook is affecting societies around the world. Francis Haugen, when we live in an information environment that is full of angry, hateful, polarizing content, it erodes our civic trust. It erodes our faith in each other. It erodes our ability to want to care for each other. The version of Facebook that exists today is tearing our societies apart and causing ethnic violence around the world. And again, I don't use Facebook very often. If I do, it's only to promote these videos. However, we have to ask the question, tearing society apart, lowering the ability to want to care for each other, 
What's the legal impact of that? And perhaps there should be one, but is there one today? Frances Haugen told us she was recruited by Facebook in 2019. She says she agreed to take the job only if she could work against misinformation because she had lost a friend to online conspiracy theories. And this is also important from the SEC's perspective. One of the things we're going to be talking about here is tilt bias. And I don't mean to suggest that Ms. Haugen here is intentionally biased, is doing something that is in itself illegal necessarily, but when the SEC is evaluating a complaint, when it's determining whether to award a whistleblower, we'll talk about that in this video, one of the things it's going to be looking at is what are their tilt, what are their biases, how is this coming out? Did they steal documents? Did they violate federal or state law? We'll see how that's a problem in the statutes as well. And one of the things that's going to come out here is she says she took the job to focus on this specific things because she thinks misinformation is a problem on Facebook. At headquarters, the story continues, she was assigned to what was called civic integrity, which worked on risks to elections, including misinformation. And then just after the 2020 election, they dissolved it. Francis Haugen, they told us we are dissolving civic integrity. Like they basically said, oh good, we made it through the election. There weren't, weren't riots. We can get rid of civic integrity now. So you've got a person in terms of whistleblowing that has been hired to do something that she wants to target in terms of misinformation. She gets hired into a place that is dissolved after she joins the company, which is not great if you're in that employ, and now finds problems in the exact area where she thought she would find problems when she was initially hired. Doesn't mean any of this is wrong. And I think Facebook is undoubtedly causing polarization and mistrust amongst people. And maybe there should be laws and regulations that cover that. But as far as today, October 2021, I do have questions about whether anything she brings up here is actually a violation of the law. Let's continue with what she has to say. Francis Haugen, and one of the consequences of how Facebook is picking out that content today is it is optimizing for content that gets engagement or reaction, but its own research is showing that content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing, it's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. Facebook has realized that if they change the algorithm to be safer, people will spend less time on the site, they'll click on less ads, they'll make less money. As soon as the election was over, they turned their protections back off or they changed the settings back to what they were before. That really feels like a betrayal of democracy to me. And it might well feel like a betrayal of democracy to you. That's okay. I don't necessarily think Facebook puts out a product that is a benefit to society. However, the law doesn't generally require a product to be a benefit to society. That latest summer blockbuster you just watched and ate gallons of popcorn watching doesn't necessarily benefit society. Anything else that you might do in your day-to-day, -day, whether or not you like it or you don't, might not benefit society, but probably it makes money for the company that produced it. Now, you could have a problem with that. You can want to see more things regulated. You might even want to see capitalism changed entirely in the United States. But as it stands today, that's a critique of the system, not necessarily a critique of Facebook. So is it a betrayal of democracy? I don't know. Are they creating hateful and divisive and polarizing content? Maybe. And are they optimizing for an engagement? Yes, almost certainly. But optimizing for engagement is essentially the ambit that the law puts in front of it. Francis Haugen again, no one at Facebook is malevolent, but the incentives are misaligned, right? Like Facebook makes more money when you consume more content, people enjoy engaging with things that elicit an emotional reaction, 
And the more anger that they get exposed to, the more they interact and the more they consume. Now we're getting into issues of philosophy or even religion about what it is that makes up a human being and how they interact with things and whether or not it's okay for somebody like Facebook to provide what at least Ms. Haugen describes as what people want. There's a lot of stuff that people make that isn't good for you or good for me doesn't make it illegal, at least not yet. Scott Paley, the interviewer here, says the European political parties essentially were saying to Facebook that the way you've written your algorithm is changing the way we lead our countries. They apparently had a report that was released again by Ms. Haugen that says they feel strongly that the change to the algorithm has forced them to skew negative in their communications, leading them into more extreme policy positions. Does Facebook have an obligation to the European political parties with respect to the algorithm that it writes? Maybe a moral obligation, maybe an ethical obligation. Those are all legitimate, totally worth bringing up in my comments if you'd like to do so. A legal obligation, almost certainly not to the European political parties. Facebook's own research says it is not just the Instagram is dangerous for teenagers, that it harms teenagers, it's that it is distinctly worse than other forms of social media. Last month, Haugen's lawyers filed, and here's where we get exactly what those complaints to federal law enforcement agencies are, at least eight complaints with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which enforces the law in financial markets. The complaints compare the internal research with the company's public face, often that of CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who testified remotely to Congress last March. And now 60 Minutes uses a clip from the testimony in March from Mark Zuckerberg, where he said, we have removed content that could lead to imminent real world harm. It's undoubtedly true. Facebook has undoubtedly removed certain amounts of content. We have built an unprecedented third-party fact-checking program. In fact, we've talked about their fact-checkers here uh, in some of the videos in virtual legality. The system isn't perfect. Again, undoubtedly true. But it is the best approach that we have found to address misinformation in line with our country's values. That last proviso is doing work. This is actually, at its bare minimum, a philosophical question. What is freedom of speech? How far should it go? What should governments regulate? And then if a government isn't regulating it, First Amendment in the United States, very strong, very powerful. We've talked about that in this space. Should a company step in to regulate it? If it doesn't, should it be liable for not doing so? That's all built into a quote unquote whistleblower complaint like this one. And the answer is not at all obvious, which leads us to the legal theory here. One of Francis Haugen's lawyers is John Tai. He's the founder of a Washington legal group called Whistleblower Aid. The interviewer asks, what is the legal theory behind going to the SEC? What laws are you alleging have been broken? So John Tai says, as a publicly traded company, Facebook is required to not lie to its investors or even withhold material information. So the SEC regularly brings enforcement actions alleging that companies like Facebook and others are making material misstatements and omissions that affect investors adversely. We're going to finish up with this little section, but we're going to talk about all these laws in just a minute. Interviewer says, well, one of the things that Facebook might allege is that she stole company documents. John Tai, the Dodd-Frank Act passed over 10 years ago at this point, created an office of the whistleblower inside the SEC. And one of the provisions of that law says that no company can prohibit its employees from communicating with the SEC and sharing internal corporate documents with the SEC. Now, that's their position from a legal perspective. So let's back up a step. We'll finish this interview when we do. But what they are saying is that 
they can whistleblow and be protected under the SEC's Whistleblower Protection Act because they are claiming that Facebook failed to disclose the results of this research, right? And if you go and you look at Rule 10b-5, as we have done so often, of the securities rules, you see it is unlawful by use of or means of instrumentality of interstate commerce, as we have to do in federal law, to make any untrue statement of a material fact or to omit to state a material fact necessary in order to make the statements made, the ones that you did choose to make, in the light of the circumstances under which they were made, not misleading, in connection with the purchase or sale of any security. This is where a lot of Security Exchange Commission actions fall. Something that you put in your annual report, in another report that you made to the public, didn't meet this standard. You failed to say something that didn't make the rest of your statements correct, right? However, if you invest in a company like Facebook, you'll see a very, very long document. This is page 13 of 129, for those of you keeping track at home. And it's gonna include a whole lot of disclaimers. Lawyers specialize in this, are paid a whole lot of money to write these documents. And you will see that they will label the risks that they think affect their company, such as their ability to add and retain users and maintain levels of user engagement. They're stating it's a risk that people will not like Facebook this year, that they'll go a different direction or the loss of marketers, right? We might lose marketers for any number of reasons. We might have fewer data signals, they say. Mobile operating systems like Apple or Android might change the way they do business with us. Our new products might not work. Hey, COVID-19 is out there. That could cause a problem. We might not be able to compete. Here's one I really like. We might get unfavorable media coverage and other risks that affect our ability to maintain and enhance our brands. We might have a 60 minutes interview randomly in October 21. It really could hurt our bottom line or volatile or slower user and revenue growth rates. Acquisitions, our ability to integrate those acquisitions. They're being investigated for some of those in the last decade. Our ability to build, maintain, and scale our technical infrastructure. Litigation, operating our business in foreign jurisdictions. Government restrictions, complex and involving US and foreign privacy, data use and data protection policies. Government investigations, enforcement actions, settlements. Our ability to comply with all of those things. And this is just the summary. If you thought, wow, that was pretty significant from just those two pages. This goes on for dozens and dozens and dozens of pages. Those were just the bullet points for what are pages of descriptions of these kinds of things. And I did read through this in researching this video, and I didn't see an obvious place where research about whether or not they were being effective in taking down enough information, if they were being effective in making sure that Instagram didn't hurt teenagers those kinds of things would have been misleading in the disclosures that they make. These disclosures are primarily about how their financial statements read, that you can look at the earnings that they have to determine whether you want to buy stock, how they view their company. That doesn't mean, it's worth noting, that the SEC can't agree with this whistleblower and say there should have been a place where maybe they're retaining more of their earnings for prospective litigation uh, from teenagers or someone else that could be negatively affected by their business model. It doesn't make it impossible, but it's a difficult claim to make. She's making a claim that investors are adversely affected by the fact that Facebook didn't tell them that some of their research suggests that they aren't able to keep hate speech or polarizing speech or whatever else you might describe it as off their system to the maximal extent that they might otherwise want to do so. Now, just on the outside, 
We can tell that Facebook and the other social media companies are struggling with that issue. And philosophically, they're struggling with the issue of what misinformation is and whether or not they should be taking a hard approach or a light approach to what people want to say using their communications platform. So by filing it with the SEC, they've created a kind of weird whistleblower side effect here, which is that the SEC is mostly concerned about investors making money. You've accused them of focusing on making money too much. That creates a difficult kind of situation. Now, the lawyer is right in that there is whistleblower protection for making an SEC complaint. We've got laws here, right? No employer may discharge, demote, suspend, threaten, harass directly or indirectly or in any other manner discriminate against a whistleblower in the terms and conditions of employment because of any lawful act done by the whistleblower in providing information to the commission in accordance with this section. Now, Ms. Haugen is not an employee anymore, but these are basically still going to hold where you don't get to make an action against somebody that is rightly telling a federal agency or other body that you're violating the law. It says you're a whistleblower for purposes of all these rules. As of the time, that alone or jointly with others, you provide the commission, the SEC, with information in writing that relates to a possible violation of the federal securities laws. So this is written pretty broadly. If you think there could be a violation of the federal securities laws, you probably are getting this whistleblower protection, even if it's somewhat specious. This is a pretty tangled web to get to Facebook is violating not products liability standards, not international law, not something that the FBI or the Department of Justice would look at, but instead the disclosures they're making to its own investors, but it might not be impossible, right? And as the lawyer also says, although he says it a little bit more broadly, let's go back to that interview. He says, one of the provisions of that law says no company can prohibit its employees from communicating with the SEC and sharing internal corporate documents with the SEC. What it actually says is the following. No person may take any action to impede an individual from communicating directly with the commission staff about a possible securities law violation, including enforcing or threatening to enforce a confidentiality agreement with respect to such communications, with some exceptions made for legal confidentiality, a confidentiality with a lawyer. So what it says is you can't be prohibited from talking to us. You can't have an NDA provision in your employment agreement that prevents somebody from talking with the SEC. And in fact, the SEC over the last six or seven years or so has actually enforced this. You see in 2015, agency announces first whistleblower protection case involving restrictive language. It says SEC rules prohibit employers from taking measures through confidentiality, employment, severance, or other agreements that may silence potential whistleblowers before they can reach out. In fact, only this summer, you saw the SEC take another action that had that same effect of saying, well, you can't have restrictions on who can talk to us. But the question, again, is not who can talk to the SEC. Something happens within your job. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not violating anybody else's rules or policies or procedures. You find something that's bad. You bring it to the SEC. No problem whatsoever. If you instead say, in early 2021, I'm going to have to collect tens of thousands of documents that maybe aren't otherwise in my purview, I'm going to disclose them ultimately to places like the Wall Street Journal and in interviews with 60 Minutes, you might have a bigger issue. Again, communicating covered, corporate documents, that kind of thing, covered by the way that the rule operates, not as expressly as might be suggested by the lawyer here. So when we're talking about a situation like this one, where the claim is about how investors are, as the lawyer says, adversely affected by this lack of disclosure, you've already got an issue. Then when you stake your claim 
on taking these documents, tens of thousands of documents as described by 60 Minutes, you start to look like a worse actor. Francis Haugen finishes up here, says, Facebook has demonstrated that they cannot act independently over and over again and have chosen profit over safety. It is subsidizing. It is paying for its profits with our safety. I'm hoping that this will have a big enough impact on the world that they get the fortitude and the motivation to put regulations into place. So as opposed to whistleblowing a violation of the current law, I think what you've got here is a situation which might well be completely justified. She brings up a number of good points about how Facebook is damaging psyches and people's interaction with one another that wants to see change, wants to see regulation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're violating the law right now. As we talked about at the top of this video, when we mention things like working with a whistleblower like Deep Throat in the Watergate hearings or any other time when something like that might happen, one of the things that journalists take on is the responsibility that if somebody asks for the name of that source, they're willing to go to jail in contempt of court to not give it up. Unfortunately, the way the world works, sometimes you've got a situation where this might be completely justified, might be entirely what you want to see happen to Facebook, have all this exposed, have regulators come in and change things. But the impetus behind that doesn't fit in to those round holes that we have put for whistleblower protection. And that looking at this from my perspective, is what I would worry about the most. It's easy for the lawyer to say, oh, Dodd-Frank covers this, but it's not an obvious SEC violation. And once it's not, when you start talking about taking documents from the company, putting them out publicly, doing interviews with places like 60 Minutes, it becomes something where it's much more likely that right or wrong, righteous or not, you might have to suffer consequences and penalties for making these kinds of complaints. Now, before we get into the discussion of the Whistleblower Act, why she might have gone with the SEC over some other possibilities for disclosures here, I do want to give Facebook the chance to respond. They made a number of separate statements to 60 Minutes here in response to that coverage. It says, every day our teams have to balance protecting the right of billions of people to express themselves openly with the need to keep our platform a safe and positive place. We continue to make significant improvements to tackle the spread of misinformation and harmful content. And again, if you want to give Facebook the benefit of the doubt, and I know a number of you don't, I'm not inclined to myself necessarily, but if you do, that statement is basically correct, right? They continue to make improvements. You hope they're significant. She says they're not, but they are at least making the noises in public necessary to say we're trying to fix some of these things. And more importantly, from the perspective of someone that does believe in the freedom of speech, you do have the issue with folks being allowed to speak what they want to speak and not have punishments applied to them for it. That's the other side of this equation and one that Facebook is fighting equally strongly when it talks about regulators on that score. They continue, we've invested heavily in people and technology to keep our platform safe and have been fighting misinformation and providing authoritative information and making it a priority. If any research had identified an exact solution to these complex challenges, the tech industry, governments, and society would have solved them a long time ago. This stuff is hard, says Facebook. And you can't accuse us of failing to disclose something to the SEC or to our investors when we're doing our best. We said we're doing our best. We've also said there are risks to the way we're doing things in litigation and government regulation and elsewise. So we're not perfect, but it's a very hard problem to solve. They're definitely not wrong with that assertion, even as unhelpful as it might be to us on the outside. They continue. Hosting hateful or harmful content is bad for our community, bad for advertisers, and ultimately bad for our business. 
Our incentive is to provide a safe, positive experience for the billions of people who use Facebook. Now, there's where your spidey sense might be tingling, right? What Frances Haugen has said in her interview strikes as accurate in certain fundamental ways. The algorithm, the way you engage with a social media site like Facebook, tends to give you more of whatever you engaged with before, right? I think everybody has this experience where maybe one random day you click on something that you're really not even that interested in, and for a month, you get clicks that are related to that thing you clicked that one time because Facebook all of a sudden thinks that's the kind of person that you are. If you click on something that is maybe not even hateful, but just divisive or strong rhetoric, you might start to get that stronger and stronger and stronger. And Facebook undoubtedly does that, just like other social media outlets do. So is hosting that content bad for their community and their business? Yes, it is when people rebel against it when advertisers rebel against it, if they don't, if there isn't the equivalent of YouTube's adpocalypse for one reason or another, it's good for business until the moment that it isn't. So this one strikes me as straining credibility a little bit because I think it's clear that the more clicks Facebook can generate, the more they can have that engagement. Even when you look at the risk factors in their own document, that it's important that engagement not fall, then it might well be good for business at least until the moment before advertisers decide that it's not. Facebook continues, research shows that polarization has been growing in the United States for decades, long before platforms like Facebook even existed, and that it is decreasing in other countries where internet and Facebook use has increased. Hey, this isn't our problem. This is human beings. This is the human condition. And Facebook didn't start it. Facebook isn't even exasperating it because if you look, people who use Facebook, why it's even going down. And I think I need more than a statement to actually back that up from them. It certainly defies my internal calibration for what happens when I see social media and interact with people that use it very often, but we don't know what we don't know. We would certainly demand more evidence from Facebook on that score. In phasing in and then adjusting additional emergency measures before, during, and after the election, we took into account specific on-platform signals and information from our ongoing regular engagement with law enforcement. When those signals changed, so did the measures. It is wrong to claim that these steps were the reason for January 6th. The measures we did need remained in place through February, and some, like not recommending new civic or political groups, remain in place to this day. So one of the issues that I didn't harp on when we were looking at the 60 Minutes interview is that Frances Haugen believes that Facebook directly contributed to the events of January 6th. That's one of her main kind of thesis points. Facebook obviously rejecting that and important to do so for its own kind of marketing. From Instagram, we also saw the problem with teenagers. We saw that reference directly in the 60 Minutes story. It says, while we stand by the value that the experience, their Instagram for kids, would have, we've decided to pause this project to give us time to work with parents, experts, policymakers, and regulators to listen to their concerns and to demonstrate the importance of this project for younger teens online today. The reality is that kids are already online, and we believe that developing age-appropriate experiences designed specifically for them is far better for parents than where we are today. And again, in a vacuum, without experiences with Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever you might find yourself on social media, there's nothing wrong with that statement. Yes, it is probably better for things to be made for kids that take into account kids' needs and hopefully give the protection that parents want for those kids. But in the world of Facebook, in the world of Instagram, with some of the research that apparently has been exposed by Ms. Haugen, there is reason to be concerned with how these things are actually impacting kids and the way they interact with the world. So yes, Instagram, fair enough, 
But I think it's good that that was decided to have a pause and to re-examine exactly what it is that you plan to be doing. Now, the second part of this video is about those biases, about the concerns, about the issues, not just with the SEC as the way that you would whistleblow against Facebook, but against this particular way to whistleblow against Facebook. On this score, there are effectively two elephants in the room. And the first, I think you're going to recognize either if you've been in virtual legality before or just from general internet discourse. That is, of course, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, which states that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. The broad civil shield that says Facebook is not responsible for what you or I or Jim or Mary or whomever say on their platform, whether it's great, whether it's insightful, whether it's hateful or otherwise. That is a protection given to these companies, the liability shield, because Congress, when it passed its law, felt that it was important for these companies to not be held liable every time something bad was said on their service. That is the way that this has operated in the United States, much to the chagrin of really both Democrats and Republicans on the regular. Joe Biden gave an interview where he said he would have this entire law stripped. I think there are certain Republicans that have said exactly the same thing. This is one of those areas that is currently under investigation and regulatory review by Congress. But as it stands right now, it is the law of the land. Facebook isn't with several exceptions noted that don't apply here, liable for what other people put on their system. So by going around the horn and suggesting that there's an SEC violation for failing to disclose that bad people say bad things on their service, it doesn't make it a very good case. What was already not a strong case, just because disclosure of things to investors that don't harm investors isn't really a problem for the SEC in general, is now an even worse case when Facebook goes and says, well, we wouldn't be liable for any of this stuff anyway. So where's the litigation risk? Where's the product liability risk? Where is any other risk that you might have as an investor to this company that we should have been disclosing against? And if you're being cynical, it looks very much like someone trying to go around CDA 230 to hit one of these companies, even though the Congress and the United States have said platforms, you don't need to worry about these things. Now, could she have gone a different direction? Could she have made some kind of products liability claim? Said, hey, it's not about hate speech or divisive speech or separating society or an attack on democracy or any of the other high-minded rhetoric. It's instead something that is directly harming people like those tobacco cases we talked about earlier on. Taking that research and saying X, Y, or Z are harming these people for reason A, B, and C, bringing something to the Department of Justice, bringing something to the FBI or someone else that can directly talk about harm to people at a federal level. She could have, but there's a reason that a lot of whistleblowers go through the SEC. And it's not just, as we said at the top, that the securities laws cover more companies than everything else. It's also because the SEC likes to advertise itself for this purpose. On your screen or on their screen, if you're listening to this as a podcast, is the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's Whistleblower Award page, where in bright green they have at the top of this article, Whistleblower Awards now over a billion dollars for tips resulting in enforcement actions. And if you don't know, we're going to take a look at the law as part of this, but when Dodd-Frank put this in place, it meant that people who whistleblow on their employers to talk about 
SEC violations, which are predominantly financial irregularities, somebody stealing money, not disclosing liabilities, whatever it might be, and they give that information to the SEC. The SEC didn't know about it. And then they bring an action and they give a fine to that company. And the SEC is happy about that. Portion of that fine goes to the person that gave them the information. And they advertise it and they advertise it and they advertise it. It was only September 15th, 2021 when they passed this mark. It was in a press release. SEC surpasses $1 billion in awards to whistleblowers with two awards totaling $114 million just a few weeks ago. The Securities and Exchange Commission today announced awards of approximately $110 million and $4 million, not really an equal split in that 114, to two whistleblowers whose information and assistance led to successful SEC and related actions. With these awards, the SEC's whistleblower program has now paid more than a billion dollars to 207 whistleblowers, including over $500 million in fiscal year 2021 alone. This is a fairly rapid acceleration of whistleblowing pursuits and payments by the SEC. Over a billion dollars, 500 million in the last fiscal year. How does this work? Well, the law says in any covered judicial or administrative action or related action, the commission under regulations prescribed by the commission and subject to subsection C shall pay an award or awards to one or more whistleblowers who voluntarily provided original information to the commission that led to the successful enforcement of the covered judicial or administrative action or related action. Lawyers, right? What that says is if you give them original information leads to a successful action on their part, you will get not less than 10% of the monetary sanctions and not more than 30%. And then there's a bunch of rules that determine where you fall under that particular problem. But if you're going to have an action against a company as large as Facebook and the whistleblower in that pursuit is going to get even just 10% of an action that you might successfully bring against Facebook, well, the SEC makes money, the whistleblower makes money, and... That's why you see so many actions brought under these securities filings. That's why you might have seen eight separate actions brought by this particular whistleblower instead of combining them in one. Now, there are other problems with her complaint, and those relate back to this document question. In order for your whistleblower submission to be considered original information, if you remember back to that paragraph of legalese, it has to be original information. It must be derived from your independent knowledge or independent analysis and it has to not be already known to the commission, which makes sense, right? It has to be something that you found or observed, and it has to be something that you tell the SEC they don't already know about it. Because if they already know about it, they're not paying out money to you. But that independent analysis requirement is going to be a problem for certain types of documents or information that you might give to them. It says the commission will not consider information to be derived from your independent knowledge or independent analysis in any of the following circumstances, including if you obtained the information by a means or in a manner that is determined by a United States court, you'd actually have to lose this lawsuit, to violate applicable federal or state criminal law. Now we get into where the rubber hits the road, right? 60 Minutes asks the question, well, aren't they going to be concerned that you stole all these documents? The lawyer responds, well, Dodd-Frank covers us because we can communicate with the SEC. Yes, you can. But you can't win an award and the government has problems using the information that you gathered illegally. Now, they don't have as many problems as you or I might have using information that was gathered illegally. That's an entirely different video of virtual legality. But when we start looking at could you possibly have violated federal or state criminal, not civil law, we wind up in another 
law that we've discussed here in virtual legality. That's the Defend Trade Secrets Act, last talked about with respect to Pokemon, now with some fairly bigger fish to fry. But you might remember that whoever with intent to convert a trade secret to the economic benefit of anyone other than themselves, other than the owner thereof, and intending to knowing that the offense will injure any owner of that trade secret, knowingly steals or without authorization appropriates, takes, carries away, or conceals, or by fraud, artifice, or deception, obtains such information, or without an authorization copies, duplicates, sketches, draws, photographs, downloads, uploads, alters, destroys, photocopies, replicates, transmits, delivers, sends, mails, communicates, or conveys such information shall, except as provided in subsection below, be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. It's a criminal statute. You steal a trade secret. And what's a trade secret? It's all forms of financial, business, scientific, technical, economic, or engineering information, including et cetera, et cetera, where the owner thereof has taken reasonable measures to keep it secret and the information derives value, actual or potential, from not being generally known to another person. Then if you stole that, you could be liable. You could be in trouble. So we get into questions now in this particular circumstance of what she had access to in her job, what she had access to lawfully under what she was doing. She didn't have to violate authorization. She didn't have to trick anybody. And again, this comes back to movies and television where you might imagine the SEC or the FBI or whomever, you know, giving somebody a USB stick and telling them to go in. And sometimes that can work. Uh, and that is uh, oftentimes the case. This is one of those problems for the courts of what is fruit of the poisonous tree and what evidence can be used. But the government in general does not want to incentivize illegal activity. So if you go and you steal a trade secret, it's a criminal offense, and a court finds you violative of this kind of thing, you could be in trouble. Now, why might a court not find against you on this question? Well, they might not find against you because there's an overall immunity from liability under the Defend Trade Secrets Act. For what? An individual shall not be held criminally or civilly liable under any federal or state trade secret law for the disclosure of a trade secret that is made in confidence to a federal, state, or local government official, either directly or indirectly, or to an attorney solely for the purpose of reporting or investigating a suspected violation of law. So you go and you collect these documents, you steal from your employer, whatever it might be, and you deliver them in confidence to an official, either at the federal, state, or local level for the purpose of investigating what you believe to be a disclosure violation under the securities laws you might well be okay. And Ms. Haugen might well be okay, especially if Facebook doesn't decide to pursue any kind of action against her for whatever it is that she did internally at Facebook before this all happened. However, when you start to have it leaked around, whether that's to the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, elsewise, when you give an interview, verifying the information, talking through potentially other issues with the 60 minutes of the world, you make yourself known, you start to have more problems with that whole in-confidence requirement for the purpose of investigating a law, right? As we just talked about in terms of the interview that she gave, it sounds very much like she's an advocate for regulatory and legal change. And that's great. Might even stand with her for that proposition. I think Facebook could use some additional guardrails, just like I think the rest of social media could. However, if that isn't your purpose, you don't fall under this immunity requirement. If it is your purpose to advocate for change instead of saying that there's a violation of the law, when it does seem like a tenuous claim based on everything that I've been able to read on this subject, then you start to create problems for yourself. Are you immune under the Defend Trade Secrets Act? Could Facebook bring an action against you depending on what you did inside that company? The answer is yes to all of those things. Now, will they? Probably not. 
One of the things we also like to talk about here is the practical standpoint here. Facebook is unlikely to want this story to continue longer than it might otherwise do. So you probably aren't bringing a federal case against the quote unquote whistleblower, regardless of how it might otherwise look. You're going to be talking to the SEC about why the violation isn't a violation and hopefully not having liability there, but you're not otherwise going to be trying to string this along. That said, when you have an interview like the one on 60 Minutes, when you have a discussion like this against Facebook, I think they're doing a disservice to their viewers to just kind of take this on its face, to just say, oh yeah, you're allowed to communicate with the SEC on anything. Obviously, we know that not to be true. You can't just make up SEC violations. In fact, the SEC bars people from going and seeking awards that just file frivolous claims looking for those awards. As you might suspect, in the United States, you got a whistleblower suit that says you get 10% of a claim. People just start filing all sorts of stuff and the SEC bars them from continuing to file. So you've got a situation where you've got a specious claim or potentially specious claim and you've got it trying to go around the horn of an existing liability shield that would prevent you from being liable if you're Facebook from most of the things that are claimed directly. And you've got award money on the line. You've got a job that you lost or at least a job type that you lost when you came on board, deliberately focused on the issues that you found at the company and are now bringing to the SEC's attention. And you have a whole lot more going on here than I think the 60 Minutes and the other outlets of the world deigned to bring up. Should Facebook change? I think almost undoubtedly. Does social media do harm to a number of people? Absolutely. Is that harm more than the good they might provide, the connectivity, the news sourcing, whatever else you might like about social media? I don't know the answer to that question. And in fact, legislatures and congresses around the world are debating that question as it stands today. Does that arrive in a place where Facebook has right now violated investor disclosure rules? I have my doubts. And that's why I say she presents a very, very difficult case. This has been Virtual Legality for Day. If you enjoy talking about the law and business of technology, pop culture, video games, movies, television, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We think we do some pretty unique stuff here on YouTube and elsewhere. We've got a Patreon and other ways to support us listed below. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, posting this video on forums, Reddit, otherwise that you might otherwise frequent. I appreciate very much and every little bit helps. If you got this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.